All right, so what we're going to do tonight, we're taking a break from our dust of glory just for one week, um, and that's only because I feel like um, that I should pause tonight. I feel like the time is, is good to pause tonight and try to clarify a little bit or, uh, or allow you to ask questions, engage with me a little bit tonight. Over the past several weeks of messages that I've been preaching about rewards, it's interesting that uh, I've been preaching now for basically 15 years, week in, week out. I've had all sorts of reactions over the years to messages that I've preached and the series that I've preached. I think the sub- this subject, the subject of rewards, which I didn't even intend to deal with, it was just a passing thing, and then the, the immediate reaction uh, to the subject, and then the reaction each week to the subject as I dealt with it a little deeper and deeper, has led me to believe that we should probably stop and talk about it um, and make sure that we're all clear on what it is that we're talking about. Because I feel like that, um, that this subject, more than any other subject, and I've preached on a lot of different subjects, but for whatever reason, it seems like this subject of rewards genuinely makes people uncomfortable. Like It may not be you, you may not be one of the ones, but believe me, it's making people uncomfortable, whether it's the way you, uh, and I say you, I just mean in general you as a congregation, the way that some, some of you have looked at me while I've been preaching, um, some of the head shakes I've gotten during certain times in the sermon, and I don't mean affirmative head shakes, I mean some of these kind of head shakes, and, um, and then comments afterwards, and so I just thought it'd be a good time to, to pause, talk about it a little bit more deeply, and allow you to ask questions. I will say what I tried to say last week is that there are a lot of things when we deal with this subject of rewards, a lot of things that we can't answer, a lot of questions that we can't answer, and a lot of the issues, and maybe this is why we're so uncomfortable with this subject, a lot of the issues surrounding rewards in heaven and the rewards that were promised in the New Testament, I think a lot of it, we have to just sort of uh, take our best biblically educated guess at what's coming. And I know we don't like to do that. We, we want concrete answers. We want black and white answers. And so I think that that may be part of uh, what makes us uncomfortable with it. So tonight I want to pause to share a couple things, expand on a couple things from last week, hopefully, or from this previous week, hopefully, and then just allow you to ask some questions that I may, I, I need you to also allow me to say, I don't know. And don't be too disappointed with me if I say that. Um, I'm finding out that that's a popular answer to these types of questions. So the first thing I want to do is just sort of recap, recap and tell you the, the, uh, the things that I think we can agree on. And wait till we get to the end if we can't agree on these. And when I give you time to ask me questions, just say, hey, returning to that point, I don't agree. And we'll talk about it. But I think we can agree on these things at least and that's that um, we are promised rewards in the New Testament. And I think that's pretty easy to come to agreement on because it, this is black and white. I mean, Jesus talks about us receiving rewards. He talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount is where he begins talking about it. And I used Matthew chapter 6 a whole bunch of times over the past three weeks to demonstrate Jesus talking about rewards and the promise of rewards and motivation for rewards. So Matthew chapter 6 and and if you want, I'm not going to deal with or read all these passages of Scripture in detail, but if you want to just take notes, these are the 
sort of the high points or the places in the New Testament where you find this discussion. So Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 1 through 6 is where we have a really um, important statement from Jesus about rewards, about the fact that if our motives and what we do are correct, I talked about this last week, that we're, if our motives are pure and we're motivated by pleasing God and serving God, that we're promised that our Father in heaven will reward us for that. And so Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 6. And then the passage that sparked all of this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As we were working verse by verse through, I got to, it's, it's interesting to me uh, that what sparked this discussion was basically what I felt like was at the end of the sermon a concluding remark trying to land the ship and close the sermon down, and that was the remark where several people went, what? What are you talking about? Why would you say that? And so, uh, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 through 15, that's where Paul talks about um, the church being built on the one foundation that is Jesus, and he says that, you know, be careful what you build on that foundation, there's only one foundation to build upon. And then he talks about some will build upon it with hay and straw, and some will build upon it with gold and, and fine uh, metals and things like this. And he says, and in the end, all of our works will be uh, passed through fire, and some people will pass through and their works will be burned up. Others will pass through and their works remain. And if anyone's work remains, what? They, re- they receive a reward. And he, does, and he goes on to say that those who pass through and their works are burned up, they're still saved, but apparently there's not at least as much reward. So, um, so that was the passage where I talked about at the end of my message, I want the rewards. I really do want the rewards. I think we ought to long for them. And so the next thing that I think we can agree on is that the pursuit of rewards is not sinful. And I'm just summarizing all the points I've made over the last few weeks. And we'd say that uh, if Jesus is, and I'll just move right on from this one. This one's easy because if Jesus is encouraging us to want the reward that we're promised, then I think it's pretty easy to draw the conclusion that it can't be sinful to want what Jesus has encouraged us to want. The, the desire for the reward, Jesus wouldn't be telling us to want something that's sinful. So Jesus tells us to do things, um, Pursue the reward, and then that we should be motivated to do good by the promise of reward. That it's okay to be motivated to do good by the reward, because in every instance that Jesus talks about the reward, he talks about them to do what? To motivate us. And it's the reason he doesn't just talk about them because it's um, sort of fun kingdom stuff. I mean, he's talking about rewards because he's trying to motivate the listeners to do good. And by doing good with a right heart, then they receive the reward. So uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, I read this a few weeks ago. I'll read it to you again just real quick where Jesus in, <laughs> in one of his statements says, "But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just, or you'll be rewarded or, or you'll, you'll receive your wages there. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, uh, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And then what follows that in verse 24, Paul says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So he's saying, work hard this way, and you may never receive what you want from men, but work as though you're working for the Lord because the Lord is going to reward you. So he's motivating us with the promise of reward. And then the example I gave in 
Second uh, John, the Apostle John, uh, writing to, uh, a letter to the circulating around the early church, and he instructs the woman that he's writing to. He says, "Watch yourself." Second John, uh, verse eight: "Watch yourself, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward." So again, he's motivating her with the promise of reward, and like, do the right thing because there's a reward that's on the table here. You can have the reward or not have the reward. So. So that, I think we can all agree on those things. I think you may prove me wrong in a few minutes when you have time to ask questions. But I think the real place that struck a chord this past week, um, I know this is with, with some people because they told me, was the suggestion that there are different um, degrees of reward. That some people will be rewarded more than others. And, I, and there were several people who came to me and asked me about that, and, um, and they struggled with that idea of there being some type of economy in heaven where some people are given more or rewarded more or have increased capacities or increased responsibilities in heaven or any of those things more than others. And so I want to visit that for just a few minutes, and then, like I said, I'll give you time to ask me questions about rewards. And you may not have any questions, and we'll just get to go home early, unless you have youth here, and then you get to sit around and wait longer. Um, but let me say something about preaching, too, while I have the opportunity to say this to y'all, is I want you to understand that, um, that preachers, a great analogy, and my dad told me this years ago, and he didn't make this up, I'm sure he heard it from somebody, but he said that preachers are like waiters at a restaurant, you know, they, they have access to everything that's behind the counter, everything that's in the kitchen, but when it comes time for the meal, they only bring you a, a little bit. You know, they don't bring you everything. When it's meal time, they don't bring you everything that's back there. And preaching's a lot like that. I want you to know that when I'm studying throughout the week, there's, there's a lot of things, and Cole, you can relate. I'm preaching. There's a lot that goes into that that you leave in the back when you get into the pulpit. Because truth be told, if I brought it all into the pulpit, we'd never finish a sermon, ever. It would, and you would be bored to death for half of it at least. And so a lot of times I get in the pulpit and I'm saying things, big themes, and I'm moving quickly through them because I just don't have the time uh, or to, to bring all of that to the table, and I have plans to move other places in my preaching schedule. And so I did move quickly through some big things that maybe I should have slowed down on, uh, but for the sake of getting the sermon done, sometimes I leave that stuff behind the counter, and I'm glad that some of you want to know. What is that stuff, and where are you drawing this from? So let me give you some examples or expand on a few things. When we talk about varying degrees of reward, um, will some of us be rewarded greater than others? I think the answer is pretty clearly yes in the New Testament. I think that answer is pretty easy to see. And if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, real quick, let's just spend a few minutes there, and then I'll give you another a um, couple of passages that are, we, can just, we can just read. Um, but, but I want to go back to the passage where it all sort of began. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul is having this discussion about the church. And remember the context of all this. He, he's having this discussion or teaching because 
there are divisions in the church and people are dividing over who they like most or what teacher is their favorite teacher or, or who, who's most appealing to them. And so he goes into this discussion about uh, that all of us are just servants, that we're just serving and we're meant to be faithful servants. And he talks about what then is Apollos and what is Paul, we're servants uh, through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. So they're just workers who are faithfully working for God. And then verse 10, it says, according to the grace given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. And let each one take care how he builds upon it. So here now he's expanding this beyond just Paul and Apollos. Now he's saying everybody who's involved in this process, take care of what you're doing. Verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So I think this passage, if you just slow down and look at it a little more closely, I think this passage alone makes a really good case for the varying degrees of reward in heaven. Because on the one hand, there's somebody who's built upon it, and his work survives. And he receives a reward, right? We've got that? I mean, he's built with... And I think that you could say that there are three or two different groups of three different types of things here uh, that Paul uses as an example. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, there's a group one. And then wood, hay, or straw, there's group two. And those are clearly inferior, right? When the fire comes, some of these things are going to make it. Some of them are going to turn to ash. And so he says some will build and, and they'll pass through the fire of judgment and they'll receive a reward. What they've done will be good. And then there will be others who will pass through. And I think it's interesting there, the language that's used, where it says in verse 15, Paul says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. So what he could have had will be taken away. You get that? There will be a, a real loss of something. And so if we take and we just say that we're just dealing with two people here. One made it through and their work remained, and one made it through and their work burned up. Is, is one getting more than the other? I mean, I think this is really crystal clear. Somebody in this, in this scenario is getting more than the other. Or you could say somebody is losing what he could have had, but one way or another... They're not the same. They don't enter into eternity the same. Fact is, the one person, it sort of seems like the picture is like somebody ran out of a burning building and survived with their clothes almost burnt completely off, their hair singed, but they made it. They survived, but just barely. I mean, that's sort of the language that he uses. And, and so we see that there are definitely going to be varying degrees of reward based upon the work that we do, based upon the, the work that we've done as, as faithful builders on the foundation that the apostles have laid for us. Then we can go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you turn over there real quick. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verse 6, where Paul, he says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in this body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Stop right there, because there again, Paul's pointing to the motives for what they do. Remember this past Sunday, I said that we're going to be judged based upon our motives, not upon the things we accomplish, right? You're going to be judged. uh, One person, as I was studying through this, put it this way, we'll be judged for faithfulness, not fruitfulness. That's pretty good news, depending on where you are, I guess. I mean, I'm happy for that because I can't always measure a lot of fruit, but I'm trying to be faithful, and I want to be, I want to be judged that way. So he says that their aim is to please the Lord. In verse 10, this is key, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So will everybody get the same? No, because we don't all do the same. We don't all serve the same. We don't all um, have the same motives all the time. So he's saying everyone will, will stand and be judged, and they will receive what is due. There's the reward. They will receive what is due based upon what they've done in the body, whether good or evil. Um, one of the parables of Jesus in Luke chapter 19, uh, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you real quick, and then we'll, uh, we'll move on to some questions. Luke chapter 19 is a parable that, um, that we all know pretty well, I think. Luke chapter 19, verse 11, if you're writing down verses for your own study. As he heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what, he's, what uh, they had gained by doing business. So the first came before him and said, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. So one guy has taken one and managed through wise investment and through uh, doing business well to multiply it by ten. So it's made ten minas more. And he said to, them, said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. So he's given him authority or responsibility. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, then you are to be over five cities. And then, of course, there was one who came and did nothing with it and squandered him and suffers, suffers the judgment. But the point is here that both were faithful Both were able to uh, do something with what they were given. Both served their master well, but both were rewarded differently. So there are different, again, different degrees of reward. And we see that sort of appear in the parables of Jesus concerning the kingdom and how people are rewarded, where he he speaks that way. 
If you're faithful, you receive reward. You're entrusted with more. If you're not, um, then you get less, or possibly it could just be evidence, like the, some of the servants that there was nothing there to be rewarded in the first place, and they're cast in the outer darkness. So the idea of varying degrees of reward, I think that this is, even though it's uncomfortable for us to think about, I think it's really crystal clear in the New Testament that there will be varying degrees of reward in heaven. Um, I also want to touch on this, and then I'll... Gosh, this is taking so much longer than I thought it would. Um, And then I'll let you ask questions. But also, I think there were some who were a little bit uh, put off by the idea that the ultimate reward that we would receive, I mentioned, would be increased capacity to enjoy Christ or to experience God in heaven. And I've used the illustration of the cups. Remember that, those of you who are here, or the different vessels. Remember, and we had the uh, big one. Here's my, my best. I'm an artist tonight. So you have all these different size vessels, and I filled them up with water. All of them. And so they're all full, right? In heaven, nobody's going to be not full of the presence of God, the ability to experience God. You're not, no, nobody's going to be at a deficit in that sense. But e- each of these are full, but each has a different capacity to experience or to enjoy. God, another way to, to illustrate this, maybe is a better way to illustrate it, because I think this comes up a little bit short, is to use music. For me, music's a good illustration of this. Like, how many of you ever been to a live concert of any kind? Most, most of us have been to there. So when you go to a live music event, everybody there is receiving the exact same thing, right? I mean, you're getting... I mean, don't push this too far. Don't tell me, well, I was standing 10 rows back. I didn't see it like the person one row back. Just live with the illustration. We're all receiving the same thing from the musicians that are on stage. We all have the opportunity to get the same thing. But in a crowd of people who are experiencing the music, people experience or have different capacities to enjoy or experience the music more deeply than than others. Does that make sense to you? So like... For some, some of you may go to a concert and you may just love the music and it was just good because. And if somebody said, well, what was good about it? You would say, I don't know, it was just good. It was just great. I, I loved it. And, and then there will be other, and that, that would, I, I mean, that's where I'm trying to illustrate here is there's some, it's just, it's good, we're full, not, nothing's missing, there's no deficit. But then there'll be other people who have a little bit deeper capacity to engage with the music. And they'll understand the music on a different level. And they will have experienced this thing differently. Like for me, sometimes I'll listen to music. And Denise and I will be in the car and I'll say, I love that. Listen to what they're doing there. And she's just like, what are you talking about? Like I, sometimes like I love to listen to certain guitar players. And I love to listen to them play through a song and change modes and scales within the song to give different feelings in the song. That's a really cool thing that can happen in a song where they can begin the song in a minor key and end it in a major key or vice versa. Or they can play a solo starting in a major key and then move to 
a, a different mode of that key and then finish in a completely different type of key altogether, whether it's a minor or major feel or mixolydian feel or anything like that, and it can make you feel different and communicate different things, but I can hear those things and appreciate them. And then there are other people who will hear music and they'll hear all those things, plus they'll hear that this guy never resolves. He always moves the note to a flat seven instead of going to the major thirds. Now, I don't hear that, but some people do, and they appreciate it, and the music becomes deeper. Are you getting what I'm getting at? Like some they have different capacities to enjoy the music, and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper, but everybody's full. We're all enjoying it. Exactly, right, right. So, but that's, that's the point. And some of you probably, maybe in this room, some of you have some training in music and you understand things far more deeply in the theory in music, Terry. I know you've studied some music. You can understand the theory of music and why those things work together. Why? And the point is that, you know, the, the idea that our varying levels of reward won't necessarily be material reward, but instead the ability to, or the capacity to enjoy God, to uh, experience God. John Piper said, at the root of reward is the greater or lesser capacity to see and enjoy Jesus. 